it's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome Sandy, thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician, I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. And instead of condemning Clayton crimes against humanity and human rights abuses, many members of Congress have instead fallen back on a blanketed statement defending Israel's airstrikes against civilians under the guise of self-defense. Netanyahu's extremism, right-wing government will continue to expand settlements. We cannot stand idly and complicitly by and allow the occupation and oppression of the Palestinian people to continue. We're scared to stand up to the incarceration of children in Palestine. It's because maybe it'll force us to, to confront the incarceration of children here on our border. Let me just say, you know, shame on the progressives. Hamas is a terrorist organization. Yeah, that was uh, Congressman Michael Waltz shaming our little, uh, you know, terrorists in Congress right now, would-be terrorists for certain, uh, affiliated with terrorists. I remember when Rashida Tlaib was uh, inaugurated at her party. She had uh, members of the <laughs> radical Islamists at her party. So uh, don't be too surprised that they want the is Israel destroyed. Uh, we know that Israel has been blanketed by some 3,000 rocket attacks from Gaza Strip by Hamas. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to go live to Israel in just a little bit here and talk to someone that I met a number of years ago in Israel who's going to describe what's going on because it's it's just a fascinating story. And those of us that uh, believe in God and believe in the Bible and its prophecies are intrigued even as we are deeply concerned about our Israeli brothers and sisters. And that doesn't mean, you know, they don't necessarily share our faith. A lot of Israelis do not, that's for sure. A lot of them are just atheists. We'll talk with Josh about that in a few minutes. Uh, but uh, but nevertheless, they are still God's chosen people. We believe that. They are the apple of his eye, and uh, his plans for them are unfolding before our very eyes in just un unbelievable ways. So we will be talking about that today. Also, I want to tell you that today is the day that the Senate will hear SR1, and that's, uh, you know, the For the People Act. It's just for you. Remember, it's only for you that they want to take over all of the elections and federalize them and do away with voter ID, expand universal mail-in balloting and all the other bad things that happened in the presidential race. It is the most important bill to defeat probably ever, ever, more than Obamacare, more than any of it, because if they pass this, they will have total control of this country. Okay, so you might want to call your senator today and say, vote no on SR1, the For the People Act. Vote no, no. Okay, so that's happening today. But uh, Dr. Fauci, oh, by the way, did you know that uh, the COVID uh, pandemic is over? I don't know if you knew that or not because, you know, you can't tell by listening to the medical experts. Well, some of them now. I Even Fox, to me, I was so angry with Fox early on in this because I felt they were feeding the frenzy as much as any outlet. And they were. 
But now at least they are reporting, and I think Tucker Carlson led the way on that, Laura Ingram also, thank God for both of them and others on the on the station that actually kept talking about what was really true. Uh, the numbers are dropping everywhere, and yet, and yet, uh, you know, our uh, medical experts and our president, oh, our president said what he warned those of us that won't get vaccinated, that it's not going to go well with us. It's just going to be, it could be terrible for us. Uh, I, you, when have you ever needed to be vaccinated when people were not dying anymore and there's no, like, hardly any threat? I, I just, uh, I, I don't know. This is a new day because you have to be vaccinated just because. Okay, so Dr. Fauci was delivering the commencement address for Emory University. And I heard he had done this, but I hadn't heard him speak. I have to say, I feel sorry for the students at Emory because they had to sit through this. But, but you know, I'm not going to play the whole thing, but I do want you to hear part of it because Dr. Fauci's morphing. He's morphing. He's kind of spreading his area, his area of expertise. It's no longer just COVID. It's, well, let's listen. Our country's experience with COVID-19 has not only upended our own lives, but it has uncovered a stark reality and failing of our own society. The unacceptable disparities in health experienced by minority groups, especially African-Americans, Hispanics, and Native Americans. Many members of minority groups have a much greater risk of COVID-19, often because of the nature of the jobs that many of them have as essential workers in society. More importantly, when people of color get infected with SARS-CoV-2, they more likely will develop a severe consequence of the infection. And this is because minorities in general have a greater incidence and prevalence of underlying comorbid medical conditions, including hypertension, chronic lung disease, diabetes, and obesity, that lead to a multifold increase in hospitalizations and deaths from COVID-19 compared with the general population. Now, very few of these comorbidities have racial determinants, almost relate to the social determinants of health, dating back to disadvantageous conditions. All right, I'm gonna interrupt him because blah, 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 he goes on and basically he's saying that uh, this COVID, you know, it's all been um, uh, disproportionately treated, the, the uh, blacks and minorities, are more at risk. He tells he does say the reason. He said that not because of there. He does say, I don't know if we played that part because I was distracted because I've heard him talk before. Um, he talks about how it's not because of their color. It's because of their working conditions, because they've had disparate opportunities. The obesity, the heart disease and all of that has come about because they've been mistreated in the culture and on and on he goes. And so here we go with racism and COVID again and also stirring up fear in minority communities. So Dr. Fauci joined in that little, uh, by the way, remember Dr. Fauci's non-political. Remember that? Remember Dr. Fauci said he was non-political and, um, you know, he was selected by President Trump to lead the, um, the COVID effort. But the National Pulse did an incredible story. I wish I could read the whole thing to you this morning. It's um, basically says the National Pulse review of White House visitor logs from November 2014 reveals a meeting in the White House Situation Room chaired by then-Ebola czar Ron Klain. The meeting appears to have been coordinated by Dr. Anthony Fauci and included several high-level U.S. government agency heads. Um, they go on to talk about uh, Fauci's gain-of-function research. Remember that we know from other sources 
was outsourced to the Wuhan lab, which is, it was illegal in the United States. They were inferring that at this meeting, they kind of worked things out so that that money could go to Wuhan and Dr. Fauci could continue that dangerous research, which resulted in the virus infecting people in the lab and then infecting people in the world. And uh, the point of the National Pulse is to say, what, what was that meeting all about? Ron Klain, who is now the chief of staff for Joe Biden, was they, he and Fauci were you know, thick as thieves uh, in all of this. They don't say that, but that's what I'm saying after having read it. Uh, and he, uh, they're saying that, you know, actually Dr. Fauci had a political conf- conflict of interest when he was advising President Trump in the early days. His own party affiliation and his family donation history seemed to confirm this. Nevertheless, people marched uh, Anthony Fauci in front of uh, President Trump, who probably had no knowledge of who was the expert on this and wanted the best, and they said he was the best. And so um, Fauci was very connected with Barack Obama, with uh, Joe uh, Joe Biden when he was in office. In fact, I'll read this. For Fauci, multiple meetings with Obama would soon follow, including a high-profile hug fest in the Oval Office on October 24th of 2014, in which Fauci introduced Ebola survivor Nina Pham to Obama. The media was enthralled with the Tony Fauci healthcare hero narrative. A few years later, Pham sued her employee, Texas Health Resources, and slammed a video featuring her and her doctors as public a public relations stunt, and an invasion of her privacy. So Fauci and Claim uh, worked together in that Ebola uh, management, which was a disaster uh, by the Obama administration, and continued to be very close. And so um, there's a lot more about this article, but let me read. You know what? Actually, I'm not going to read any more of it because I have so much other news, but we will put this on our Facebook page. It's worth the read. It's from the National Pulse. We'll put that there so you can read it. I wanted you to hear... Uh, what Rand Paul had to say last night with Laura Ingram about all the things that Dr. Fauci has said and others. Let's listen to clip eight. This is good news for all of us, but you're right. Amidst the good news, there's another set, set of nanny staters immediately saying, oh, no, no, we need to have people carry papers. But they seem to be discounting the fact that 30 million of us got the disease naturally. And there's an estimate by the CDC that there's two more people for every person that got a positive test. There's two other people who got it that didn't ever get tested. That's about 100 million people. You're going to tell 100 million people you've got to get vaccinated again, even though you've had it. And if you don't, we're not going to let you travel. Look, I travel as part of my constitutional duties. I've had the disease. I don't plan on getting vaccinated until they show me evidence that people have had the disease or getting it in large numbers and dying and that it's a serious illness Then I might get vaccinated. But I just don't choose to at this point because I've had it. Are they going to prevent me from flying to Washington to do my uh, my constitutional duty because I don't want to submit to uh, one size fits all health care? And I don't think that anybody else's business is my health care. You know, these are personal, private decisions that I should get to make. Yes. And so on and further, this is one of the things that makes me as angry as anything is this insistence now that children get vaccinated and this a rush for Pfizer to develop a vaccine for children. <clears throat> Dr. Fauci makes this statement, and Rand Paul responds. I want you to hear, hear this also, clip nine. If you have a parent that is vaccinated and was with their own child in the house, you don't need to worry about having the child masked or you masked. When a child is outside and is not vaccinated and interacting with other people, either in an outdoor or in an indoor setting, you want to make sure the child is masked. 
He probably has the highest IQ for someone who actually acts like an ignoramus every day of the week. I mean, really, kids don't get this disease. When they do get it, it's a mild form. They don't transmit it well. This is, we've got two years worth of evidence on this. We don't have rash of deaths on, uh, you know, age one to 10, one to 18. They still have their camp provision. They want them going around camp, wearing a mask, doing this six foot stuff. There's no science behind it. It's all conjecture. It's all Tony Fauci, his way or the highway, Mr. Little Dictator. So, no, there's no science. Having, you know, the burden of proof should be on the state. If Fauci wants kids to mask up and wear masks everywhere, he should show us the science, show us the evidence that kids but are Senator creating a contagion. All right. So, yes, yes, and yes. All right. I want to move on quickly because I must. The American Medical Association now has embraced critical race theory. They've embraced it. I've been telling you for a long time that the I want to I mentioned that to tell you that the medical profession has become as politicized as anything. So that when you say your doctor says this or your doctor says that, you unless you know your doctor's kind of philosophy of life or worldview, you can't really even trust your doctor anymore. Not really. Not certainly on COVID because they follow the party line. And so um, the American Medical Association now has embraced critical race theory, which reminds me of another story. The Black Lives Matter founder, Patrice Cullors, who is a self-described Marxist, a video has surfaced from her for 10 years ago, uh, bragging and boasting and, and well, let's see, promoting Mao's Little Red Book. Now, I don't have time to tell you all about Mao. Let me just tell you he's uh, responsible for the largest number of deaths in recorded history. He was the communist dictator of Red China, and Mao's Little Red Book was something that all of the Chinese had to hold and carry. They would wave in frenzy, and Patrice Cullors of Black Lives Matter loves it. Uh, so the Black Lives Matter movement is a Marxist movement, which reminds me of the Space Force commander being removed from his... Um, his position, because he wrote a book called Irresistible Revolution, Marxism's Goal of Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military. He wrote the book and published it, and now he's been removed from Space Force. Uh, but people actually like him. His book has become the number one uh, seller on Amazon. And I want you to, you know, you might want to get that book yourself as a way of supporting him. We need to fight back, and we are fighting back. Just by speaking the truth, we're fighting the back. back. Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer, uh, Irresistible Revolution, Marxism's Goal of Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military. All right, when we come back, we're going to Israel, so stay tuned. It's going to be quite the adventure. Fasten your seatbelts. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. In churches, and a lot of churches today, the issue of identity is sort of like the big elephant in the room. It's in the news, but it's not in the church. So if it's in society, it needs to be something the churches are addressing. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality, is now available for church screenings and events. Every person in America needs to see this. And all pastors need to show this to the church, get the people informed. If the church, Jesus isn't the answer, where is the world going? We want the message of the film to touch as many hearts and lives as possible. And we'd love to join with you to bring the film to your community. So let's say you have a small group or your church, or we've even been bringing the film into some prisons. We want to partner with you. So what we'll do is we'll send you a special kit and it's completely free, and it'll just have some extra resources to help you promote your event. To find out more about how to host an event, go to inhisimage.movie and click on the Host an Event tab. 
That's inhisimage.movie. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for General Ronald Place, Director of the Defense Health Agency. He leads the military health system, which provides medical training, readiness, and health services. 3 John chapter 1, verse 2 reminds us of God's blessings of good health. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Ronald Place as he leads the Defense Health Agency. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Are you in the midst of your college search? We invite you to explore Liberty University this spring at one of our on-campus events. Spend a few hours exploring campus at Tour LU, dig deeper, and learn more about life at Liberty during Experience LU. Or you can take your next steps towards training for your dream career on a world-class campus by meeting with faculty and department heads and getting your questions answered at DecideLU. Learn more about these visiting opportunities and register today by texting VISIT to the number 49596. Again, that's VISIT to the number 49596. There is massive outrage among Christians after Baylor University announced they are going to formally embrace the LGBT agenda. Since its founding, Baylor has been strongly aligned with the Baptist faith tradition, but no more. And their latest decision to allow a gay fraternity to operate on campus is sure to ruffle even more feathers. Sources tell me the vote by the Board of Regents was extremely close, and the university intentionally withheld a letter written by area pastors until after the vote was taken. 32 pastors pleaded with the university not to abandon the Bible's teachings on sex and marriage. The university announced it will also provide care, connections, and community for LGBT students. You know, it's sad that Baylor University has betrayed its heritage, much like the Boy Scouts and many mainline Protestant denominations. Another example of what happens when you turn your back on God and embrace the godless. I'm Todd Starnes. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Israeli airstrikes pummeled Gaza again today, targeting militants, their homes, and a network of underground passages. That triggered more rockets from Gaza into Israel and Israeli defenses. You're looking behind us. If our cameraman Alan can just show what we're looking at, and that's the uh, batteries of the Iron Dome defense system. And it is going up in the sky. A second one is going up the sky, looking to target. Make that a third. Make that a fourth. Four rockets from Gaza were intercepted. One got through, hitting a building and injuring three people. The system has knocked out a thousand rockets in the past week. For Israel, for the region, it is absolutely a strategic game changer. That's how important the Iron Dome is. Most importantly, is success rate of more than 90%. All told, some 10 Israelis have been killed since fighting began. 200 Palestinians have died, included in the casualties many women and children, increasing pressure for a halt to the hostilities. Israel today did not sound ready. Our battle against the terror organization continues in full force. We will continue to act as long as it takes to bring quiet and security. 
While U.S. diplomats were also in the region pressing for peace, America's top diplomat didn't sound ready to demand a ceasefire. Ultimately, it is up to the parties to make clear that uh, they uh, want to pursue a ceasefire. Blinken was also not ready to pick a side in the controversial Israeli bombing Saturday of a building in Gaza where media organizations had offices. Netanyahu asserts Hamas had an office there as well, and U.S. intelligence was informed. The Secretary of State said he had not seen the information and was asking more questions. Hamas had once again tonight threatened this big metropolis of Tel Aviv with more rockets. So far, we haven't seen any. Analysts here are trying to figure out if they're pausing to reflect or reload. All right, that was Greg Palcott last night on Fox News. And since he spoke about that overnight or yesterday, of course, the time is very different between Israel and the United States. Israeli warplanes have unleashed another wave of heavy airstrikes on the Gaza Strip. They've destroyed about 60 miles of militant tunnels and the homes of nine Hamas candor, cam, commanders and also killed a senior Islamic Jihad leader. And we'll get into the details of that a little bit later. It's been going on for two weeks. Uh, you heard a little bit of the overview just then. Uh, it broke out in East Jerusalem. We'll talk about some of that with our guest. Uh, Josh Reinstein is t talking to us from uh from, I'm not sure where he is, but in Israel this morning. Let me just tell you that Josh is the president of the Israel Allies Foundation. He's also the director of the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus, and he's the author of a best-selling book called Titus, Trump, and the Triumph of Israel. Josh, good morning, and thank you for joining us. Hi, Sandy. Uh, it's good to be on the show, and I am indeed here in Jerusalem. <laughs> You're in Jerusalem. Oh, good. Perfect. I can picture it. You know, I can. I really can. I um. Josh, before we talk, now you're you're a grown man now with some very important responsibilities, and we are going to talk about that. But I want to go back in time. Please indulge me, because I met you in uh, Israel. Uh, probably, I'm guessing 2008, 2009. I'm not quite sure. Um, but we had dinner with some other people, and we had quite an uh, an interesting discussion. Let me just—you may not remember this, but I was from Chicago, and I had worked on a campaign against Barack Obama, so I knew a lot about him. It's when he was uh, had just become president or was wanting to be president when we first met. Um, and I remember at that table, I t tried to tell you guys, Israel was pretty high on him, and I tried to tell you guys what the real truth was about him, and he was not a friend. And um, how, how time did change that, Josh? In fact, my understanding is that when Trump was still in office, uh, there were like pictures on flags of Donald Trump in Jerusalem. Is that true? Well, you know, it, it, it's a tale of two cities when it comes to Israel and Barack Obama and Donald Trump. You know, Barack Obama was championing uh, Iran as the um, solution to peace in the Middle East, that by, uh, you know, supporting Iran and a nuclear deal with Iran, that he could bring peace and that the problem for peace in the Middle East was actually Israel and the Palestinians and the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Uh, Donald Trump uh, had a, the exact opposite uh, viewpoint. He said that Israel, the only free democracy in the Middle East, is the solution to peace in the Middle East, and we can bring peace, and he did with countries like Bahrain, United Arab Emirates, and moderate countries, and that Iran actually is the problem and the destabilizing factor that's stopping peace in the Middle East. And so, obviously, Donald Trump was a way more popular uh, president in Israel because his viewpoint um, was not only celebrated, but it actually worked and it led to bringing peace uh, here on the ground. Yes, and I have to say one other word before we move on from this. 
uh, Barack Obama, one of his best friends, was a spokesperson for the PLO. And that was something that was, when he was running, was shut out from public view. But I, like I said, because I worked on his, the opposition campaign, I knew a lot of these things. So I'm, it just was an amazing thing to watch from a distance. But then also I want to get more personal with you, Josh, because your, your own personal story about why you were in Israel is a fascinating one to me. And it actually kind of explains the, the, the mystery, the power uh, the intrigue of Israel to me a little bit. You were raised in Texas, right? Dallas, Texas. That's right. Yeah. So you want me to tell your story? I think you should tell it. You had you had a, a Jewish. Uh, okay, sure. You know, uh, I re- I was raised in uh, Dallas, Texas, in the late seventies, early eighties, and uh, as a Jewish kid in the United States, you had one of two uh, heroes. It was either Sandy Koufax, who uh, was the pitcher who refused to pitch in the World Series because it was the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, or Arl Sharon, uh, who Menachem Begin called the greatest general since Alexander. Uh, I was an Arl Sharon guy. Uh, I always wanted to come and do my military service in Israel. My grandparents were all Holocaust survivors, so I knew the importance of being able to fight uh, for your country, to be able to defend yourselves, and not to have to rely on other countries to defend yourselves. And so that's what I did. In 1999, I made Aliyah. Uh, moved to Israel and uh, served in the IDF as a tank gunner uh, until for about a year and a half until I got out, and then I got involved in uh, public relations and politics. And now uh, I work to in what we call faith-based diplomacy, um, coordinating uh, support for Israel, biblical support for Israel, and turning it into real political action. I also want to include this other part of your story because it just makes it real personal. I hope you don't mind. But you, you told me that you had been, you're probably close to the age of my son. And you, we, you, were, you loved video games. My son did too. And it was typical of American boys, but that was kind of your world. And uh, when you went to Israel, you were, you were it opened up a whole other kind of lifestyle. And you ended up, you know, uh, as you just said, joining the uh, Israeli Defense Forces, but then because of your skills as a video gamer, you became an expert at handling the technology on these tanks, right? Did I remember that correctly? Yeah, yeah wow. Sandy, you have an incredible memory. That's uh, unbelievable. Yeah, when I was a kid, I had a Sony, um, not a Sony, sorry, a Super Nintendo. And my favorite <laughs> game was a tank game that you had to put a cross on different targets and shoot it. And I played it day and night. And um, it was very similar when I first stepped into my first tank and, and started working on the the, the joystick and, and seeing how to shoot. It was very similar, and I was very uh, um, I was very good at it. And I actually, when I, and after my advanced training, I won a competition uh, for the tank gunners of, of that um, unit uh, called the Bohan Sevet because I, w- I was so good at it. I was actually the best in my unit, and it was really. Uh, the hand-eye coordination and the skill of putting that cross on the dot. Now, of course, our tanks are way more advanced than that today, but uh, that had a, a lot to help uh, in, in getting me uh, to, to the top tier of tank guns. <laughs> uh, but I, yeah, oh, that's very cool. But and I think even the the deeper concept is that you went from a little boy being raised in America with, um, like most little boys in America, to being a grown man with a purpose and an identity. Uh, riveting, you know, uh, changing your life and giving you a tremendous focus. And so I just think that's an important story. And so now let's talk about what you do now. Uh, I, because um, you are, again, the president of the Israel Allies Foundation. Now there are, well, is that a small group? Because right now you don't have a lot of allies. No, who are the allies you're talking about? 
So actually, we have uh, the Congressional Israel Allies Caucus as our sister caucus in, in the House, uh, the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus in Israel, and we have 50 Israel Allies Caucuses around the world made up of uh, members of parliament uh, in different countries, about 1,200 members of parliament in our network, and they, as I said, take their biblical support for Israel and turn it into real political action, whether it be through resolutions, legislations, hearings. Um, we call it faith-based diplomacy, and today, actually, faith-based diplomacy is the most important weapon that Israel has in its diplomatic arsenal. And when you look around the world and see about the support that's coming, it's usually coming from leaders who have a background in, in faith. Yes, and, uh, you know, it's interesting because I've watched this transformation, Josh, uh, because uh, because I have a lot of Jewish friends, and I'm certainly not unaware of the hostility of the traditional hostility and even hatred toward Christians. I understand the reasons, the confusion. You know, Christian can mean a lot of different things. And um, the broad on the broad spectrum of it, Christians have done very, uh, very cruel things to Jews through the centuries. On the narrow perspective of it, where the Christian isn't actually a person who uh, makes Jesus Christ Lord of their lives, and that, that whole large umbrella would be evangelicals. There has been a shift in the attitude toward evangelicals. Would you not agree? Absolutely. I mean, I think today everyone can agree that it's Christians, not countries, that are standing with Israel. Um, Christians are standing up with Israel all around the world, not just in the United States, but in Latin America, in Africa, in Asia, in Eastern Europe, and they're bringing their countries with them rather than the other way around. So, yeah, today we're seeing a new relationship between Jews and Christians in the 21st century, and something that's really the story of our times, uh, how we've been able to bridge the gap and work together to defend the, the state of Israel. has been really miraculous, especially over the last four years. You know, I, uh, I remember uh, being in not a few meetings in D.C. with uh, leaders of Jewish organizations just sort of stunned and remarking at how evangelicals were supporting Israel, kind of back on their heels over it. And so I've had kind of a front-row seat to that. It's been pretty thrilling, actually. And also, Josh, I yesterday I was talking, we were talking about Israel on the air again, of course, and uh, it is remarkable to me that a lot of these formerly former Eastern Bloc countries are coming to your defense, like Czechoslovakia and um, uh, Romania, I think, and someone, General Jerry Boykin was with me yesterday, and he was saying that that's because of the Christian, his, and he does a lot of, you may or may not know him, but Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, um, he was sure, saying that that's, wrong. pardon? Yeah, I know him, I know him well. I uh, had dinner with him last in Jerusalem when he was with Tony Perkins <laughs> okay. at a dinner there. <laughs> okay, good. Well, he's he's a good friend of mine too. So, uh, so he was just pointing out that it's the Christian influence in those eastern, formerly Eastern Bloc countries of the Soviet Union, uh, that's causing that. So, isn't it really is something to watch this unfold? All right, you're in Jerusalem, beautiful, beautiful Jerusalem. What's life like right now for you? Well, I think there's a tense calm here in Jerusalem right now. Um, we've seen that uh, we've been under attack for the last uh, ten days. Uh, whether it be by rioting or rockets. Um, there's been a coordinated attack by Islamists against the state of Israel, uh, not just in Jerusalem, but even more so uh, in the south, around Ashkelon, Ashdod, and Sterot, and of course in the center with rocket barrages on uh, Tel Aviv uh, and the surrounding areas, and also even uh, riots in places like Lod and Ramla and Akko, which are usually very peaceful cities. So it's been very disturbing to see what's going on. Um, and um, 
I believe that this is a coordinated attack uh, because they see that Israel was, you know, in a political crisis. They figured that Israel was uh, not getting the support from Washington, D.C. that it was before or from Europe. And so they thought that this would be a good time, but I think they underestimated us. And, um, we're fighting back, and we're, we're turning the tide. Let's talk just a little bit about the political unrest that you, you, you uh, alluded to, and that is basically that uh, no candidate, including Bar- uh, Net- Benjamin Netanyahu, has been able to get enough members of the Knesset to actually have a majority to rule. Is that correct? And you've been through like three, three elections with this. Is and that we're actually, right? We uh, went through four already oh, in four. the last two years. <laughs> and okay. uh, now they're talking about a fifth. Um, we're pretty split down the middle uh, between the pro-Netanyahu block and the anti-Netanyahu block. Um, and we're having trouble forming a coalition government, which you would need 61 out of 120 seats to form. Um, and they seized on the opportunity to attack us while we're trying to form our government um, because of also international uh, issues that were, were showing that there was a, a trend to support uh, unfortunately, Hamas, a, a recognized, internationally recognized terrorist organization um, over uh, the democratic state of Israel, which is uh, shocking as, as it may. Um, no, wait a second. They, they, wait, they a second. Josh, are you, wait a second. Josh, wait a second. Let me make sure I understand this. You mean it, within Israel, there's a growing support of Hamas by Jews in Israel? No, no, by uh, the international community. Basically, oh, okay. what's happening is that over the last four years under the Trump administration, there's a freeze out of Hamas. They were they were nervous to, um, you know, commit terrorist attacks because the revivals they saw would be, um, you know, equally as harsh, uh, and there wouldn't be international combination. But over the last um, few months, um, the U.S. has released funds to the Palestinian Authority. They've talked about rejoining the Iran nuclear deal. Um, they started funding UNRWA, the UN organization that perpetuates refugee problems. Uh, and so at the same time that that's going on in Europe, the ICC, the International Criminal Court, is now investigating not Hamas, the terrorist organization, but the uh, defensive armies of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, for war crimes. So um, internationally, the, the, the air was, was of the... You know, the the viewpoint was that they could get away with this type of attack on Israel. We had, you know, our own internal political crisis. We had right, right. Uh, international no, I get uh, communities supporting Hamas, so they, they took the opportunity to attack us. But yes. I think they well, overestimated. Well, and uh, they we ability. understand that. Things have shifted in this world. They've shifted all over the globe. Uh, and uh, we'll talk more about that, Josh, when we return. Josh Reinstein is my guest. He is the president of the Israel Allies Foundation and director of the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus. Uh, and uh, we'll return with more discussion after this. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Here's another of our core values. AFA upholds the truth that all human beings, including the unborn, are created in the image of God and are worthy of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Thank you for standing with us, and we thank you for your support. AFR programming is now available on Alexa. You're joking, right? Nope, not joking. Seriously? Yep, this is not a drill. Wait a minute, no way. There's a way, the Alexa way. So if you just happen to miss your favorite shows, no worries. You can now listen to each podcast with Alexa. It's simple and it's free. 
Just visit AFR.net forward slash apps and click Alexa. We're not joking. When the wicked rule, the people groan. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Only 120-some-odd days into the Mr. J. Robinette Biden administration, and it's looking like the return of the Jimmy Carter days, as the world is on fire almost overnight. Filling stations with no gas up and down the East Coast. 178,622 illegal aliens tried to cross our southern border in April, a two-decade high. In Israel, Arab terrorists are on the verge of full-scale war. Prices are skyrocketing. Inflation is shooting fear through the market. And where is Mr. Biden? From basement campaigning to the basement president, there's a new condition percolating through America. It's called Biden regret. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Brian Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. We're all aware of the tragedy of teenage suicide and want to prevent it in any way possible. A 2012 study from Sweden indicates that there is a strong correlation between parental separation or divorce and suicidal ideation, even when the breakup of the family happens to children from ages 0 to 4. Here's what the authors say. Parental separation or divorce in childhood is significantly associated with ever having had suicidal thoughts or having attempted suicide, end quote. Maybe children are not as resilient as we want to think. I've written the Boy to Man book for fathers of 12-year-old boys to help their boys grow up to be men who will commit themselves to their wives and stay committed for life. You can order a copy today at afastore.net. That's afastore.net. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Last week, 124 former military leaders warned that Marxists in America are imperiling our country. In particular, they declared that forcing into the military politically correct policies like critical race theory is degrading readiness and creating a major national security issue. A recent casualty of such policies is a top-rated warrior named Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer. He's an expert on Marxist ideology, doctrine, and subversion, who's authored a new book called Irresistible Revolution describing their manifestation inside the U.S. Armed Forces. Pursuant to orders to root out extremism in the ranks, Colonel Lohmeyer talked publicly about the Marxist nature of critical race training. Now he's been removed from command, exemplifying what the radical left is trying to do to our military and police, namely purge patriots and replace them with those who will support and defend not the Constitution, but Marxist revolution. This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. We support their ability to have different points of view, but we are approaching it through the prism of how we feel uh, we can come to a most effective outcome. Saki, the spokesperson for the president of the United States, you know, we support, you know, both sides. They just need to have a ceasefire. There's no uh, guilt or innocence on this part. Pre- president uh, uh, Biden talked to Netanyahu yesterday and allegedly said uh, he understood their right to defend themselves 
but his actions are different. His actions are troubling, and Josh alluded to that, but Lindsey Graham actually stated it. He's a senator. So let's hear what Lindsey Graham had to say. The Biden administration is openly talking about giving the Palestinians more money while rockets rain down on Israel. There is no game plan from the United States, in my view, to make it end on terms favorable for Israel. Yeah, and so I'm, I started the show today playing you a montage of the so-called squad uh, in Congress. You know, uh, they hate Israel, and uh, they make it clear every time they speak. Uh, but there's a very interesting article um, and that I'd like to commend to you to read. It's called, In Congress, the Knives Are Out for Israel. It's not just the four, it's others. It's Ben Carson from uh, Indiana. It's others like that. And they're blaming the Jews for what's happening, for starting this. And so this is uh, published by uh, the New York Daily News. We'll put it on our Facebook page. My guest is John Reinstein. He's talking to us from Jerusalem. Uh, Josh, again, is the president of the Israel Allies Foundation and the director of the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus. And by the way, his best-selling book is Titus, Trump, and the Triumph of Israel. Um, Josh, let's talk about that uh, strike over the weekend, I believe it was, uh, by the Israeli forces on the, the Al-Jala Tower, which housed the AP, uh, the, uh, I can't even, um, lots of different uh, media outlets. And there, there was, you know, this horrendous backlash. Explain what happened there, if you, if you can, please. Well, first of all, I think Israel should get a Nobel Peace Prize um, if they were really for peace, for the lengths that were going on, not to create any civilian damage on the other side. Um, I, I believe that more civilians were killed by Hamas themselves, by errant rockets, than we've um, killed uh, by our uh, targeting of actual Hamas terrorists. Um, we are going after buildings, even, not uh, uh, people. So the, the building that was uh, hit with that had AP and Al Jazeera in it was known to be a communications building for the Hamas terrorist organization. Uh, the rumors to have uh, weapons and supplies there at all. Um, everyone was notified before we hit the building that we were going to hit it, and it was a um, important military target to knock out communications and to stop the transfer of weapons. So um, the real question is, why is the Associated Press uh, renting uh, office space in a terrorist infrastructure building? I mean, it just shows you how in bed some of the mainstream media is with the Hamas terrorist organization. But the, there can't be an, in a, an equation between us defending ourselves from the rocket attacks of a, of a terrorist organization and the rockets themselves. First of all, um, if the Hamas wanted to stop this conflict, all they have to do is stop shooting rockets, uh, and it would be over. Uh, we are just defending our citizens. Second of all, we are fighting to defend our citizens. They are using their citizens to defend their weapons. Uh, they are putting children and women in front of their weapons and their inf terror infrastructure, and they're trying to get as much civilian casualties as possible. They are doing a double war crime by not only firing rockets at our citizens, but using their citizens as human shields against our reprisal attacks. And, you know, Gaza is a pretty densely populated area. The fact that the majority of the people we were able to um, target are actual, and no one's disputing this, terrorist combatants and leadership within the terrorist organization just shows the painstaking length that the Israeli Defense Forces is going through to make sure that we are as careful as possible not to 
um, attack anyone in the civilian population. And, and you know, in my, in my opinion, I have to say, I think we're being too careful. I think we need to take the gloves off and really go in there and do what needs to be done to stop the, the rockets from hitting our, um, our citizenry. Because, as you know, in any democracy, the government's number one possibility is not international diplomacy. It's not uh, peacekeeping efforts. It's to defend its citizens. And once you defend your citizens, only then can you go on and try to make a nice ceasefire or do diplomacy. And I think that we need to even go in harder, if you ask me. Yeah, let me just say this whole operation for the last 10 days, two weeks, is called Operation Guardian of the Walls. Uh, it is a war. It is a war of defense. And, um, Josh, when I was on another occasion after I met you, when I was in Israel on a national security uh, tour with a bunch of journalists, we met with the Flying Camels. And I don't know if they're widely known in Israel, but they're that particular group of uh, uh, pilots in the Israeli Defense Forces that are in charge of targeting these buildings, like just like a, an apartment within a building of warning people, giving, I forgot exactly what the warning was, but it's very sophisticated. I thought the same thing at the time. I thought, man, they go to such great lengths to warn people so that they do not kill innocent people. It's, if people understood all of that, Josh, they would be amazed. And the fact that the... Oh, yeah, um, I mean, it's really unbelievable. You're talking about a situation where we could end this in three hours if we wanted to. Uh, we're fighting not with one arm behind, behind our back, but two arms tied behind back. We're, we're telling people before we're actually deploying bombs. And we're, the only reason we're sending the bombs is to try to get rid of their weapon supplies, which they hide in civilian populations. So we're actually letting people know that the bombs are coming. We get them to evacuate the building, and then we blow up the actual weapon supplies. Uh, so, I mean, no one fights wars like this. This is unique to Israel. You know, I'm critical of it, but you can't for any means say that, uh, you know, we're not worried about uh, civilian casualties. It's just a, an object lie. No, it is an abject lie. I'm curious to know, I, maybe it's hard to say, uh, but I, I, as the last time I was really tracking your elections, and obviously it's been a while because I missed an, one of your four <laughs> elections, um, Netanyahu, <laughs> Netanyahu uh, was head-to-head uh, uh, -head with a, another guy who was a military, former military commander, and they were both very popular. Uh, what's, what do you think this is doing to the mood of the Israelis in terms of a potential delivering one of these guys uh, 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 a majority in the Knesset so that they can actually rule. What do you think that's happening with that? Well, the the truth is now in this round of elections, that uh, person is, is still our defense minister, and so he's working very closely with Prime Minister Netanyahu on these uh, campaigns. He's front and center, and he has his finger on the pulse. But I don't think um, he would have a majority anymore just because he only has eight seats out of the 120 needed, whereas Likud and Netanyahu's party has 30 seats. So what there was was an attempt to bring all these smaller parties together to create a government of change. But because of the hostilities, uh, the idea of being um, dependent on one of the Arab parties, uh, the Muslim uh, uh, Arab Brotherhood Party, um, Ram, uh, became unpalatable. So I think that's off the table now. So the question is, will the unity that surrounded um, the government, and, and there's wall-to-wall -wall unity within the government from left to right to religious secular to uh, fight back against uh, these terrorist attacks. Will this unity create enough goodwill that people will back Netanyahu um, and create a government that's over 61 seats? Or will uh, we go to a fifth election, which is obviously an, always an option, 
Or a third uh, um, option would some other constellation not with Netanyahu come about bringing together unity in other parts of the government. So it's, it's really wide open in, in what's going to happen um, in the next couple weeks uh, with, with the forming of our own government. But the, the people of Israel are united. The people of Israel are not, um, you know, the, the goal of terror and terrorist organizations is to put terror in the civilian population. Uh, we're not afraid. Uh, we know before who we, we stand. Um, there's a strong belief that not only do we have the Iron Dome, but we have the Iron Dome of God that's protecting us. And you can see that with the hundreds and thousands of rockets they're firing, we relatively have very low casualties because of that. So the people of Israel are united, and they're defiant, and they want to see results to stop this terrorist organization from firing rockets on our civilian population. One of my Jewish friends sent me a cartoon. Uh, I, it might have been from the Jerusalem Post. I'm not sure. And it was a it was a map, and there was the, the little tiny you know country of Israel, and over the top of it was this very large hand. Uh, so it was like the the uh, the um, oh, I forgot exactly how they uh, tied this to the Iron Dome, but it said God, you know, it was God's hand over Israel. It was beautiful, and it made me wonder. That kind of segues to. Another thing I wanted to ask you, Josh, we've touched on it a little bit, but the last time I was in Israel, I was had the good fortune of being with some wonderful believers. I don't mean Christians, actually. I meant um, uh, very uh, be- believing Jews who were not necessarily Orthodox. I mean, they were, but they weren't. They weren't like the ultra. Um, and I was in, you know, had, I celebrated Shabbat with them, and so there was a there was an increase in fervor. I, I, how, what it, what is happening from your perspective in terms of faith? in all spectrums in Israel right now? Uh, because so many used to be atheists. What do you think's happening there? Well, I think uh, you can see it uh, everywhere you go. You know, there's a big difference between Judaism outside of Israel and Judaism in Israel. Uh, Judaism outside of Israel has different, you know, uh, ways of defining it. They say we're Reformed Jews, we're Orthodox Jews, we're Conservative Jews. In Israel, you're just Jews. And the question is, how much do you believe, and how much do you do, and how much do you you know, are you, uh, you know, involved or affiliated or, or you know, in, in what you practice? But I think that what I've noticed is that even the most unaffiliated Jewish person here um, has a feeling that God is in control. And, and you know, they, there's that saying, there's no atheist in the foxhole. Um, we're pretty much always in the foxhole here in Israel. We're always under attack. There's always another bad guy around the corner, whether it be Iran and their nuclear ambitions or Hezbollah from us. And yet, we're this peaceful, thriving society. We have one of the fastest-growing Western economies. We have an incredible quality of life. Uh, and I think, you know, as um, our first prime minister said, David Ben-Gurion, anyone who doesn't believe in miracles in Israel isn't realistic, uh, because we see so many miracles every day. And whether it be that God allowed us to create the Iron Dome to protect us, or it's actually God's hand that's protecting us, I think in the end of the conversation, most people understand it's God. Uh, because when you have thousands and thousands of rockets being fired at your civilian population, uh, and you have very little casualties uh, compared to that, uh, I think most people know that there's something going on here that's special. Um, and also, not, not to mention that, we're the first country to come out of the coronavirus pandemic as well. Um, and so we have a situation where when this is going on, we're not fighting corona at the same time, which is a, is a big uh, plus as well. And, and we believe that's, that's God, uh, God's hand and, and showing favor to his people. 
Well, I do too. <laughs> I do too. And I so I, I didn't know, and you've just answered it. If people in Israel would think this was just a random, these are random occurrences, or if they actually did see God's hand, and you have just answered that beautifully. I am curious, Josh, about um, uh, the state of, uh, well, the existence of Christians there. I mean, do you think that um, there are more? Do you think there is a, uh, that Jews are in in any form or fashion that's identifiable turning to Jesus, or is it quietly happening? What's the state of the Christian side of all of this? No, I don't think uh, we're seeing that here in Israel. I think if even you know more, I would say that more Jews are turning closer to Judaism. Um, the, for the first time ever, um, there are more Jews in grade one with kippah, you know, yarmulkes on their heads than without. And I think that what's interesting about our young uh, community is that when you're seeing around the world in Western uh, civilization, the youth are being less involved in religion. Uh, our youth is more involved. Um, in, in other Western societies, the youth are tended to be more liberal or progressive. Ours are tending to be more right-wing and conservative. So I think that what you're seeing is a great uh, revival of Judaism uh, in Israel. And um, even though Christianity, and, and Christianity grows every year in Israel, where it decreases in every other country in the Middle East, just because we have freedom of religion. Um, I think that uh, um, you'd be hard-pressed to find an actual Jewish person who's becoming Christian uh, in Israel. It's just not a a common occurrence. Well, interesting. Uh, Well, John, Josh, I I did witness what you just described about um, the young people loving their country, so enthused serving it. You know, each one serves in the uh, Israeli Defense Forces, boys and girls alike, and a love of country, understanding your history. And I actually envied that when I was there at last because it is a beautiful thing to watch. And you made a good choice to, uh, to, to spend the rest of your life there and throw your, your heart into uh, your, the country of your father and your, your father's fathers. So Josh Reinstein, again, president of the Israel Allies Foundation and director of the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus and the author of Titus Trump and the triumph of Israel. We'll put that on our Facebook page so that you can refer to that and order that book. Josh, thank you so much, and God bless and keep you, okay? All right, this is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. Faith. Family. Freedom. American Family Radio.